0: As we started this series, we talked about the importance of serving God and having a high goal in life. We serve a mighty God. We serve a mighty God. Let's try it again. We serve a mighty God. And we ought to have high goals because of that. We need to be shooting for things greater than us, higher than us, better than us, because we have a mighty God. Second, we talked about the importance of having our hearts clean. And we we spent some time last week discussing that. You know, the moment you trusted Christ, or the moment you will trust Christ, if you don't already know him, he will wipe your heart clean. That's amazing. And we sometimes, I think, forget the great blessing that that is. And he sets us on a new path and he sets us free from sin and, and takes us in a new direction. Now I want to turn to the idea of the from the heart to the mind. Do you remember when you started high school? Some of you are going, that was a long time ago. I'm with you. But do you remember when you started high school and you had to sit down with a guidance counselor? Or you started college and you had to sit down with a counselor at college and they laid out a sheet of paper in front of you and said, these are all the classes that you have to finish to finish the degree or the college or the high school diploma, right? And if you were like me, you looked at that and said, there's no way I'm going to get through all this stuff. You know, I wasn't that great a student to start with, but I, I'm thinking, man, that was work. But that's kind of like what we're going to look at this morning is a list that says this is what we should be like. These are the things that we should be adding to our lives, having in our lives as child, children of God, as far as our minds are concerned. In 1997, a guy named T.W. Hunt published a book called The Mind of Christ. I'd recommend it to you. It's an, it's an old one now. It's not nearly as old as the Scriptures, but it's old, you know, compared to a lot of books we have around. There's a study guide that goes with it. And this work uh, was a monumental work that helped many people understand the importance and the process of finding and developing the mind of Christ. And in his book he lists six characteristics. I want to just give you full disclosure. I took his list this morning, and then I built a sermon off of it. So I don't normally do that, so it's a little bit different. But I want you to see this because it's kind of like I could have reinvented the wheel and I'd have got a round thing that rolled, just like the guy that invented the wheel. Or I could just take the wheel and talk about the wheel. I think T.W. Hunt did as good a job as anybody giving us the list. And so I took his list and developed a message off of it for us this morning because I think it's one that we need to hear. Because what is in our minds drives what we do. And we sometimes joke that people are mindless in their action, and that may be true, but I'm convinced that almost every action of an individual starts in the mind. There's a thought it may be a wayward thought, it may be an errant thought, it may be a terrible thought, but it's a thought that begins and then develops into activity in life. Recently, I heard of, of a couple of kids who decided they would play with their, uh, their new markers and that they would color themselves and make mustaches. Now, you think, that sounds like fun, doesn't it? Except they took Sharpies permanent markers and began to start coloring. I don't know if they did it on each other or if they did it on themselves, but they ended up with really, really amazing mustaches. And one of them wanted to take the blame for it, but the reality is the other one had, had the what? The thought and created the issue. This way we are in life. We have thoughts that then lead to action. And I believe if we're going to have the passion for the Lord Jesus, we have to have our minds transformed by the presence of God. Philippians 2.5 says this. Just listen to it. It's not we on the screen. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. We're supposed to have the mind of Christ to allow our minds, our thoughts, to dwell on the things of God because that ultimately determines the direction of our life. So I want to lay out for you this morning your college syllabus, if you will, your high school diploma plan that says these are the courses you need. These are the things you need to have the mind of Christ. This is Dr. Hunt's list, but I want to develop it from there. And I want you to see these because they're important in the life of Christ, especially if we're going to have the passion of Christ. The first thing we need to grasp is this, is that the mind of Christ... Is alive. The mind of Christ is alive. I want to draw you to Romans chapter 8, verse 6, where the scriptures say this If our minds are ruled by our desires, the outcome is what? Death. We will die. But if our minds are ruled by the Spirit, we will have life and peace first characteristic of a person with the mind of Christ is that they've been made alive. And you're going, what do you mean? We're all alive, aren't we? Before we came to know the Lord Jesus, we were citizens of the kingdom of darkness. Let me put it another way. We were dead in our sin and trespasses. We were headed to an eternity, permanently separated from God. Was that God's desire? Absolutely not. Rather, it was the reality into which we existed as a result of the presence of sin in humanity. You and I are born... In sin, we are born with minds that are dead. We are born without the ability to live the life that God has for us. And if we continue that way, we will never see change in our hearts and minds. A person who doesn't know Jesus isn't alive. Truly alive. They may do a lot of good things, but not on the road to the best. A person without the presence of the Spirit is ruled by the desires of their heart. That's what he talks about here. If our minds are ruled by our desires, I think this is the biggest struggle we have for most of us in our minds is this battle for those of us who are children of God between our desires and the Spirit's desires, between our thoughts and our wants and what God wants for us and His thoughts for us. They, what A person with the presence of the Spirit is ruled by the desire of the heart. That means that whatever they want is what they want. Their heart goes, this is what I want. Their heart says this. My mind says this. This is what I want to go. The ultimate outcome of such a pathway as Paul describes it is death person without Jesus is on a road that stays away from God or away from life. Now, he's not talking about merely physical death, though I think he is. He's talking about spiritual death because a life separated from God cannot, will not experience the life-giving presence of God. There has to be this moment when we surrender to God. We say, okay, God, I can't, but you can. I'm not smart enough, but you are. And when this event takes place, the sovereign will of God takes over and we find ourselves lovingly ruled by the Spirit of God. But if our minds are ruled, any of you struggle with that word ruled? We don't like to be ruled by anything, do we? But in the pagan, unregenerate mind, we are ruled by our emotions, we are ruled by our thoughts, we are ruled by our desires, we are ruled in ways that we sometimes don't even grasp. And while it may seem to be a scary proposition to say, God, I want to surrender to you and let you rule me, that's what he wants with our minds, to rule us. The mind of Christ made alive by the ongoing presence of the Spirit resulting in a fundamental change in the desires of the heart results in a transformation of the outcome of our life and as the Spirit makes us alive, really alive, no longer are are the sinful lust of the flesh our focus, but the focus becomes doing God's will, having a passion for God. Jesus describes this process this way in Luke 9. He says, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, Let him, what? Deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life would lose it, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man, a person, if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? mind Alive to Christ is found in this, denying the old sinful nature, denying the old thought processes and the old patterns and feeding the new spiritual nature and letting the Spirit insist uh, instead of us insisting on our own way. So the mind of Christ is what? It's alive. Number two, it's focused. It's focused. Stop for a moment to consider the number of meals you've eaten in your life. Some of you are probably thinking, uh, when he feels finished up, I can have another one. That's what we're probably all going to do, aren't we, when we leave here? And then, you know, the crazy thing is, later today, you'll be hungry again, and you'll have to get another one. And then you wake up in the morning, and guess what? Let's do it again. You want to? And then the day goes on, we'll do it again. I've lost count of how many meals I've had, no matter whether they were big or small, good or bad, or somewhere in between the mind of christ is focused look what jesus says in john chapter 4 verse 34 he says my food get this my food is to do what god wants he is the one who sent me and i must finish the work that he gave me to do so jesus describes his food his nourishment if you will is what doing god's will is focused on the things of God. Talk about a fundamental shift of the mind. See, Jesus, for him, life was so focused on the Father, it was more important what God had for him than what he ate next. I doubt most of us could admit that that would be true for us. Talk about a shift. Talk about a significant focus in life by setting aside the thing we must do to maintain life. You quit eating, you will die. But the thing we must, what we should do to thrive in life, is what we need to be doing, which is what finding His will, finding His direction, focusing on His thought and His His way. Have you noticed when every time you eat, you turn around to eat again in a few hours? But finding and doing the will of God in life brings a satisfaction unparalleled. You say, "I'm in the middle of His will." The ultimate delight and satisfaction in life is found not in a great meal, but in finding God's way. Because that's supposed to be the prime focus of our lives. Let me ask you this. What's the overall trajectory of life? Is it to get what you want or to to fulfill the plan and purpose of God? I would dare say most of us would have to say the former, not the latter. Because we become so easily distracted by things in life and in the end, is really just insignificant. Have you ever noticed you get in an argument with somebody in a week, you don't even remember you had an argument? The things that we will hold on to. Jesus says this, in Matthew chapter 6, 5, he says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food, and the body more than clothing. A person with the mind of Christ is focused on the things that really matter to God mind of Christ begins to change us. It doesn't mean you don't care about the mundane. It doesn't mean you care about the things of life. They are just not as important as the things of God. So the mind of Christ is alive. It's focused. Third, it is humble. Look at Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And think the same way. And what? And think. We're talking about the mind. Think the same way that Christ Jesus thought. Christ was truly God, but he didn't try to remain equal with God. With God, Instead, he gave up everything and became a slave when he became like one of us. Christ was humble. He obeyed God and even died on the cross. He said, that's what I'm going to do. Another characteristic of a mind of Christ is a life of humility. Hmm. That's almost an un-American word, isn't it? We love to brag, don't we? We love to tell everybody how good we are. But i got to tell you, humility is the characteristic of Jesus and the mind of Christ. Look at the passage. Jesus emptied himself of his claim on divinity. Why? So he can identify with you and me. Consider the choice he made. I'm going to be born of of a woman, to live as a child, to walk as a man, to be crucified on a cross, to be buried in a tomb, and then what? To be raised for us. You talk about humble submissive it was way beneath christ yet he did it for us talk about humbleness for the god of the universe to step into our existence to fulfill god's purpose wow his examples expire inspiring because what he did only he could do and it took what humility humility can you imagine with me just a moment if Jesus said, well, God, I'm not going to do that because that's really beneath me. Can you get somebody else to go down there and live with those folks? Can you get somebody else to go down there and, and die for them? Could you get somebody else? And God's answer was, no, you're the one. You're my own one and only begotten son. You're the one that has to do it. And without his sacrifice, without his humility, we would have been in trouble. He was surely above it all, but he did it anyway. But catch this, what he did was the exact opposite of how we often live, isn't it? Jesus said it himself when he said this, for even the man, even the son of man came not to be served, but to what? To serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. I think most of us would prefer this quote. I'm here to be served and to surely not serve. And there is no way I will surrender my life for anybody or anything. We are quite the opposite of Jesus, unfortunately. But growing in the mind of Christ leads us in a new direction. Growing in the mind of Christ causes us to lay down our lives. Growing in the mind of Christ helps us to begin to emulate Christ and to show the better pathway. And we find living out that humility is freeing. We find blessing. So the mind of Christ is alive. It's focused. It's humble. It's number four, pure. Look at verse 3 in First John 3. And everyone who hopes in Christ, who thus hopes in Christ, purifies himself as he is pure. Another characteristic of the mind of Christ is this idea of purity. Now, uh, purity by definition is this. It's a big definition. You ready? Freedom from pollution. That's purity. Purity. Now, most of us, we would prefer to have pure water, right? You open the tap and it comes out and it's got lumps in it. You're thinking, I'm not drinking that, right? You you, you pick up your meal and it's got extra stuff in it. You're going, I'm not eating that. The air is filled with pollutants and we go, I don't really want to breathe that. The list could go on. But a big part of learning to live the mind of Christ is this, saying I'm going to consciously choose to live a life of purity. One writer defines biblical purity this way. He says, real purity comes as a result of believing that the Lord Jesus died in your place to ransom you from impurity. Pure living increases as you work together with the Holy Spirit to live as a redeemed child of God. And purity describes who you are and what you do. Those of us who've responded to the fall, call of Jesus to follow, we've placed our hope in Jesus, and, and he, he did something for us in that moment that we want to live in, is that purity we talked about a little bit last week, this idea that he's cleaned us. You know, I can really qu- quickly drop into a, a diatribe about the evils of the modern world, you know, but, but realize these evils have always been there. One of the things I learned through studying history is that the wickedness that we have today has been around for a long, long time. We think people today are worse than ever. They may be more vocal about their wickedness than ever, but the wickedness that is around has been around forever. So the issue I don't think is, are these evils around? The real issue is this, how much of this evil are we willing to tolerate in our lives? Maybe that's what's changed. One writer said this, it doesn't take much to distinguish a person of faith from a pagan. Hmm. Unfortunately, that's probably more true today than it's ever been because we keep settling for the world's definition of good. We say, oh, that's good enough. We will excuse our sin as this. It's not that bad, really. Which bad's bad enough to be bad? And we sink deeper and deeper into impurity. Jesus' brother gave us a description of how to Find the purity of God. In James chapter 4, you might note that one, four ten four seven through 10. He says this, submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. You go, is he real? He's real. And he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Those kind of seem like antiquated directions, don't they? People don't do that anymore, do they? People of God do. Because that's where we find God's presence in our lives growing. See, we're living in these in-between times, between the day of salvation and the day of destination, and, and we surely have a responsibility in this time to work for the things of God, to, to seek after the mind of Christ, to let him fill us with his presence. But if we sit by passively, we're going to miss it. We're going to miss it. So the mind of Christ is alive, focused, humble, pure. It's also responsive. I almost changed this word. So if you want to use the word I was going to use, you can, but you might put both of them there. It's the word teachable. It's teachable. Look at 1 John 2.6. Whoever says he abides in Christ ought to walk in the same way as which he walked. What does it mean to be responsive? I think It's teachable. A person with the mind of Christ is one who says, I don't know it all. I haven't figured it out yet. I still need to learn. I still need to grow. I still need to expand. I need to be understanding more and more than I do now. It means to grasp the reality that we are what? A work in progress. And we always will be. In many ways, we're thinking about the will of our, our lives. As fallen and flawed people, we actually think we can determine the direction of our lives better than anybody else. I'm in charge. I'm the boss. I'm going to drive my life in the direction I believe it needs to go. Did you hear all the I's in that statement? And we forget that our minds are tainted with the, the presence of sin that affects our ability to think and live and do. John in 1 John two six was writing to a group of churches that were struggling with members and even former members who were full of their own thoughts. And their thought was this, uh, we got it all handled. We got it covered. We can do it. But he's calling them to something better, greater, higher, to walk differently than the world, to live differently, to respond differently. The call was simple this, walk as Jesus walked. How did Jesus walk? unto the Father. He said, I want what God wants first. Jesus, although he is fully God, he deferred in his human existence to the will of God, the Father. And in so doing, he modeled for us a responsiveness to God that we need. Over in Jesus' high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, just before he went to crucifixion, he ended his prayer this way. He said this, listen, O righteous Father, Even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. What Jesus was saying is I want to show Jesus. I want to show God in everything I do. And I want to be teachable See, when we push our own agendas, our own preferences, when we get to think we know better than God and anybody else, I think often we miss the heart of God and surely we miss the mind of Christ. Living the mind of Christ causes us to respond to his leading. One more thought I want you to see. The mind of Christ is alive, it's focused, it's humble, it's pure, it's responsive, but it's also peaceful. Look at Romans 8, 6. For to set the mind... On the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Finally, the mind of Christ is peaceful. It's peaceful. Any of you like battles and struggles and complaints and arguing? Y'all like to argue all the time. I know. You know people. I have. I know people that are just like that. They, they, you could tell them that they're beautiful. They'd say, "No, you're you're wrong. I'm ugly." And you tell them that they're ugly. They say, "No, I'm beautiful." And it really didn't matter what you said. They're going to go the opposite. You know those people? I don't understand people like that. Although I'm kind of like that sometimes. I try not to be that way. But, but a huge part of releasing the mind of Christ is learning to find the peacefulness of God. If you haven't noticed, this old world is full of strife, full of backbiting, just some plain old mean-spirited attacks. And if you haven't experienced those um, blessings yet, you will. Just wait. But those living the mind of Christ choose a different path. We choose to release the mind of Christ and when doing so we find his peace being released in our lives. You're going, you mean everything will be perfect and there won't be any problems and everything will never be a struggle? I didn't say that. I'm telling you that when we do have the mind of Christ, what we find is this. No matter what we face, we have his peace to go through it. Look at the passage again. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Remember, we were born with minds set on the flesh, the things of the world. That's just part of the reality we inherited. But there's the better way, the better path, and a better outcome to be found. This is found when we make the commitment to live the mind of Christ and then follow through with that. Please understand, you're going to place your mind somewhere. You're going to think about something. And you really only have two choices. Is it going to be the flesh or the spirit? The things of this world which are going to pass away or the things of God which are eternal. I think Paul shared the better choice when he said this, if then you have been raised with Christ, do what? Seek the things of God. That are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. This is one of, the, one of my favorite verses because it reminds me again and again that I have to what in life I have to rise above the ugliness of my beginning. In Christ, I can think of the things that are above. I think. I can set aside the ugly, the ugly, the ugly, the ugly of the world, and focus on the good that God has for me. You go, but aren't don't you have struggles in life? Oh yeah, y'all know me enough to know I have my struggles. I've been through some tough things in life. But you know what? My God is bigger than any of those. He's greater than any of those. And my mind wants to be set where? On his things, not on the things here. Friend, every one of us only has so many days to live. Our days are known by God. So we're left with a decision. How am I going to live my life? How am I going to do my life? Am I going to go through life being a complainer or a griper? Or am I going to be one that sets my mind on the things of God? I think when we set our minds on the things of God, we begin to have a passion for the things of God. And when we have a passion for the things of God, life is just so much better. So which will you be? One whose mind is set on the things of the world? Or a mind that's set on Christ? What does it take to move forward from there? Here's the reality, my friend. The first place to start is to give your life to Jesus, plain and simple. But I believe after that, we have an ongoing decision to be made. that says, I'm going to crucify myself daily. I'm going to set aside the old man every day and begin to be the new man. I'm going to put aside the old woman and be the new woman, ladies, for God, so that he can do good things in me and that my mind can be set on him and a blessing to others. Father God, we thank you so much for the opportunity to come together on this cold, cold Sunday morning. And we pray, God, that as we uh, think about this idea of mind, our minds particularly, that, Father, we would have minds set on you, focused on you, in tune with you. Father, we know that it's a process, so we want to be teachable. We want to be open to your challenges to us. We want our lives to honor you. We pray for those who have a need, they need to respond publicly, let them do that. For any of us, it's just a matter of saying, God, would you begin to transform my mind? Help me to set my mind on you instead of on the things of this world. In Jesus' name we pray.